Hey, what up? It's Mark Carter. I'm the pastor of Fierce Church. Welcome to our podcast. I'm so pumped that you're able to join us today. I hope this encourages you, inspires you, strengthens you, gives you hope to keep pressing on. And it's my prayer that this sermon gives you a more expansive view of God's love for you. Enjoy the message. Today, I want to talk about, are we doing community right? Are we doing community right? I don't know, anybody here like trail mix? I got some trail mix friends up in here. Yeah, trail mix is okay. It's pretty good, I guess, if you're on the trail. It's good to have a little snack. Um, I found that there's certain things that make trail mix really good, okay? I like, I like when there's raisins in there. I like cashews. I like um, you know, some M&Ms or something. I know it's not really healthy. It kind of changes what it is, but um, I still like it. I found, though, that when you're eating trail mix, there comes a point where it, you know, you're kind of eating all your favorite things, and at some point it goes from being trail mix to now it's, I don't know what it is. It's not quite trail mix anymore, okay? You ate enough of the stuff that it's like, well, that's, you know, when you've got, like, all that's left is, like, you know, coconut shavings and flaxseed. I think at some point you transition. You, you had trail mix, and then you're down to, like, I don't know, this is less than trail mix, whatever it is. It makes up part of trail mix, but it's not quite trail mix on its own. I really believe that's what has happened to the concept, to the idea of community, of fellowship over the past few years. We have some of the remains, we have some of the leftovers, but it's not quite, as we look at the vision statement, as we look at the ingredients for what community, what Christian fellowship is supposed to look like, we're going to find, um, I don't think we have the whole thing anymore and we need to ask some questions about that. What should we do about that? And there are negative consequences. I know everybody's got, everybody's got your agenda. Everybody's got your calendar. You've got your things that you do. And you have your entertainment schedule even. And everyone's got stuff that they're doing. And at the same time, there's negative impact for us letting go or even reducing significantly things just like wholesome, helpful friendships. After a while, we begin to feel disconnected. After a while... Nobody really knows if we're falling or not. Nobody's aware of what's going on with us. Nobody's definitely holding us accountable. Nobody's asking questions about, does what they're saying match what they're doing? Because even going to things like church is just, it's a spectator thing that we go to, but it's less than somehow like the trail mix. It's less than actual community. It's less than actual fellowship and part of the problem is in our time and in our generation, in our culture, we've invented an entire category of something we call friends that doesn't really have anything to do with what friends has historically meant. Okay, so we, we have this virtual version of a friend that is kind of a person that might like things that you like. Maybe maybe you had a common interest somewhere along the way. Maybe they were part of your neighborhood as a kid and you didn't even really know them, but you know they were on your block and so now... You are chums on social media. But because we call them friends, it can confuse the idea of what a friend is. I want to read you this. This is from a 72-year-long study. This is director George Valiant. He wasn't part of the whole 72 years, but he's kind of overseeing it at the, at the time of this quote. And he says, let me tell you what makes human beings really happy. The only thing that really matters in life are your relationships with other people. The most fundamental revelation of the discipline of neurobiology is that we're wired to connect. Neuroscience has discovered that our brain's very design makes it sociable, inexorably drawn to an intimate brain-to-brain link-up whenever we engage with another person. Okay, that sounds neat, 
But listen to what um, William Duraswitz says. This is the Chronicle of Higher Education. Talking about the difference between the classical concept of friendship and the current concept of friendship. This is what he says. He says, the moral content of classical friendship, its commitment to virtue and mutual improvement has been lost. We've ceased to believe that a friend's highest purpose is to summon us to the good by offering moral advice and correction. We practice instead the non-judgmental friendship of unconditional acceptance and support therapeutic friendship. We seem to be terribly fragile now. A friend fulfills her duty, we suppose, by taking our side, validating our feelings, supporting our decisions, helping us to feel good about ourselves. We tell white lies, make excuses when a friend does something wrong, do what we can to keep the boat steady. We're busy people. We want our friendships fun and friction-free. And he goes on to conclude this. He says, friendship is devolving. In other words, from a relationship to a feeling, from something people share to something each of us hugs privately to ourselves in the loneliness of our electronic caves. Gosh, that's grim. You know, as you study friendship, even in ancient times, in biblical times, friendship was a way different deal. Friendship was a, an agreement. There was, there was some benefit to it. It was saying, essentially, I'm going to have your back. Hey, no matter what happens, I'm willing to go to bat for you. I can remember, I don't know how many of these people you would think about in the same way in, cur- in terms of your current social media friends, but I remember even as a, a younger man, I would think about three or four of my friends and I would just have thoughts of like, man, I'd do just about anything for them. Like if they got in trouble, like there's almost nothing I wouldn't do. I'd fight for them. I'd do anything I possibly could. And I've just noticed, and maybe I'm just getting older, I don't know. But as the years have gone by, my concept of friend doesn't include that near as much anymore. It's just, oh, it's an acquaintance. It's someone who I'm around maybe. And here's the problem. When we, tr- when we bring that into the church, if our relational patterns in church don't look anything like what we see in terms of the relational patterns, especially in the New Testament church, that's a bad sign. In other words, if the New Testament believers of the early church, if they could somehow time travel into our time, I think that they would say, this is close to unrecognizable. This is not what we had in mind when we did community. Here's a different way to say it. Weak sauce community would be unrecognizable to the early church. Weak sauce community would be unrecognizable to the early church. And yet, weak sauce is what we have so often. And that's not impugning good relational connections and and encounters that you and I have. It's just saying, yeah, but is this the whole bag of trail mix? Is this what it was supposed to be? Or is this just flaxseed and coconut shavings, really? So we've been in this series, Secret Passage, and we're talking about the good way. We're talking about the ancient way. We're talking about the blessed way. Remember we looked at Jeremiah 6.16 last week where the Lord admonished all of us and stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient ways where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find a resting place for your souls. And this good way, this secret passage was the way of God's word, the way that God reveals his counsel to us. And it's very different than everything the rest of the world is trying. He says, walk in this and you're going to find life is way more abundant. Life is way more freeing. Life is way more enjoyable. Well, part of that ancient path really is not just knowing some things, 
It's apprenticing Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple. Jesus always went the right way. Jesus always did things according to the right pattern. And as disciples, that's what Christians are, as we're little apprentices of Jesus, as we would seek to be apprenticed by Jesus in the way, he would give us some patterns to follow. And one of the patterns that he gave was the pattern that he gave to the New Testament church. This is book of, book of Acts chapter 2. This is where everything's blowing up for the very first time. The Spirit of God has been poured out on the people. And man, there's revival, and it's, it's better then, but it, it's maybe not a little dissimilar to things like the Great Awakenings in the past. Like there is just, man, there's a unique work. God is pouring out his Spirit, and things are changing. The world is rocking. People are filled with God's Spirit, and Jesus is being represented in a powerful way. Well, that's a blueprint for us, and so we want to look at that today. This wasn't a momentary enthusiasm that these people are going through. They're going through a continuous giving themselves to certain patterns. And remember, one of the warnings we've had in this series is Christianity is not about believing things only. It's about believing things that result in different habits and different patterns and different actions. It shows up in a very different life than anyone else would have. So something you got to know as we're going to look at this blueprint. Here's what's happened right before this. First, yes, the Spirit of God has been poured out. But these people have just heard, we're going to study this, we're going to hang out here for the next few weeks. These people have just heard this sermon by the Apostle Peter, and he ain't a a chicken anymore. And he gives this powerful sermon about two things, really, that are gripping these people. And the two things are, they've heard it, they're pierced, they're cut to the quick, and they're understanding on one level, and this is what all of us need to know, we all need to internalize this again and again and again every day. The first thing that they understood was, we are doomed apart from Christ. Every one of us, even though in our pride we would defend ourselves, no, our actions, our attitudes, our behaviors have been a a betrayal to a holy and perfect and loving God, and there is a consequence of that. And so they have owned the reality, no, dude, it's not even just that, you know, I did the churchy thing and religious thing, and so that kind of makes up, no, 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 I am doomed because I have personally, volitionally, willingly turned my back on the very Savior that was sent to save me. And that was true of them, but it's true of all of us as well. But, but here's, they, they took it to the next step too. That, that, wasn't the, that, was, that was the bad news of the message, but there's also the good news. You're absolutely doomed apart from Christ, but you are 100% pardoned as you would accept his free gift of forgiveness. And the reality of those two things was hitting them. And it was changing the kind of person they are. And really, that's, that's the thing we all have in common. That's the fundamental like baseline. That is what we all need to keep coming back to. And see, things go wrong when you don't have both of those. If you only know the doom part, man, you're going to be living under this heavy oppression. You're always going to feel like, man, I'm just not enough, and, and God's always disappointed in me, and I'm just bad, 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 bad. And there's going to be all kinds of negatives you know, attached to your life. But if you only do that, wow, yeah, but Jesus saves me, and you never reflect on the reality, yeah, but but you're a traitor of God. If you never reflect on the doom part, you're really just not going to think very much of the grace of God. You're like, ah, what's the big deal? And you're not going to own how much it cost Jesus to cover our sin. So this this is the DNA of the redeemed people. This is what they're believing, and now these people, they're the ones going into these new patterns. These are the ones who are not having weak sauce community. They're having strong sauce community. They're having potent community. These folks are going to be radically different than what we see. Let's take a look in our world. Let's take a look at what they were doing. Verse 42. Having heard all of that, okay, we'll get to that another time. 
They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. That's an important word, fellowship. The Greek word there is koinonia. We're going to spend a bit of time studying that in a couple minutes, but we'll come back to it. Teaching and to fellowship or to the koinonia, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all the believers were together. And they had all in common. And they would sell their property and possessions and share them with all to the extent that anyone had need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. See, the ancient path, the good path, the good way, the secret passage, that way, prioritizes, dramatically and radically prioritizes the teachings of Jesus and an apprenticing type of spiritual family. It's not just spiritual family as a concept. It's an apprenticing relational interaction version of spiritual family. So let's take those first two apart. The secret passage includes devotion to the apostles' teaching. They were continually devoting themselves. That means it was number one priority, man. They were making it happen. Hey, we've got to understand this and dissect this and get these good apostolic teachings done. These were the teachings of the apostles who'd been with Jesus. So they're not like teaching, you know, Peter's 12 thoughts on X, Y, or Z. It was, hey, we've been with Jesus. We're going to teach you what Jesus taught us. It's Jesus's teaching. And by the grace of God, thanks be to God, we have the teachings of Jesus, the teachings of the apostles right here. It's called the New Testament. And as we come to the New Testament, what we're saying is just like them, we regard this as these are God's very words. And to disbelieve or disobey these words is to disbelieve or disobey God himself. Can you imagine them all there? They were so excited that, man, they'd be tearing into this. See, it was a huge priority to take new believers and say, you've got to be grounded now. You've got to get this thing. They've got like 3,000 being added to their number, okay? They've got to get these new believers down, and you've got to understand the teachings of Jesus. We've got, we got to tear into these things and understand these things and love these things, and that was the priority of the people. And what I love about it, now remember, Acts chapter 2, outpour the Spirit. These people were not like, man, we've got so much of the Holy Spirit, we don't even need this. You know, they were, they were just, man, we, we've, we've had such mystical encounters with God. We, were just, we, we can just go. We just go on our own. We don't need to study the teachings of Jesus at all. I've been in church context. I don't know about you. I've been with people who were so enamored with their relationship with the Holy Spirit that they they wouldn't have done this literally, but they kind of took a look at this and were like, yeah, I don't know if I need that. I'm good, man. I got so much Holy Ghost. Really? Because these people had an amazing historic experience where the Spirit of God is poured out on the community, Pentecost, in a fresh way that had never been done before. They're seeing signs and wonders. The apostles are doing amazing things by the power of the Holy Spirit. And yet, what did they do? They gave themselves to the study of Jesus' teachings. They said, oh, baby, well, we, we got all you can have with the Holy Spirit, but we have it to better understand the Word of God. We have it so it, it's more transforming in our lives. That's why we have so much of our precious Holy Spirit. They weren't anti-intellectual. They weren't saying, hey man, stay away, you know, stay out of your mind. You just got, ugh, ugh, just get in the spirit. No, they didn't say that. They said, I'm so thankful for all of the abundance the Holy Spirit is pouring out of my life. I want to make sure my cart stays on the train track. 
And so I'm going to keep studying God's word and studying God's word. Slap somebody, say, study God's word. Now, here's something you got to know about God's word. Ever since the garden, when Adam and Eve listened to the snake, and when they looked at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they went deaf and they went blind spiritually. And that means ever since then, we always need the spirit of God himself to be the revealer of God's word. So there's lots of pastors and there's lots of ministers and there's lots of teachers and we do need them. These people didn't say, we, we don't need you, apostles, get out of here. We do need them, but we all know there's one teacher and it's the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. That's who the teacher is. Someone else gives us the lessons, but it's the teacher who teaches our spirit. Does that make sense? That's what these people were giving themselves to. Oh man, that's what I want to give myself to. See, a diet of weak sauce when it comes to spiritual community, a diet of weak sauce is Jesus inclusive. That means you're going to be hanging out with some folks and like, oh, we'll bring up Jesus. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Jesus is part of the conversation. We mentioned Jesus. You go to the barbecue. You go to the party. And Jesus is there. He's talked about you. You work at, you know, at your, your section at work. And, and we talk about Jesus. Hey, man, I'm glad you talk about that, Jesus. But that's all you do is Jesus is mentioned. That's weak sauce, baby. It's not until we start talking about the deep things of the apostles' teaching, of the good word of God. That's when it's going to get sick. That's when it's going to get rich. That's when you're going to get on fire. Because it's not enough just to mention Jesus. They weren't mentioning him. They were going and searching the scriptures daily and saying, ah, I can't get enough of God's word. Is this too radical for some people? Yeah, we just got to fuel up, man. Dump some of that stuff right in. Hey, check it out. It's free. It ain't like the gas you're buying today, okay? You just pour it right in. What about you? When you're in a situation like that, do you use your freedom in Christ to, hey, man, this is great, and hopefully, you know, people, I don't, want, I don't want people to be on edge. I don't feel like we have to always talk about something deep or something spiritual. But as, we, as, as I discern in the room that we're talking about pointless stuff, this doesn't matter, do you feel the freedom to just say, I'm just going to steer us a little bit into talking about it. So what's, what's God teaching you today? What's he teaching you in this season? What are you learning from God's word? Let's talk about the apostles' teaching. Let's get some good, fiery stuff, because that's going to thicken our weak sauce fellowship. You know, that's another reason you should go to the Grove, if you're available, if you could, because what are we going to be doing? We're going to be studying for 20 minutes. We're going to study some of God's word, and then we're going to talk about it. We're going to digest it. We're going to get it in one another's lives. My friends, it wasn't just one day a week for them. It was every day, and they were studying the good teaching of God's word. That's another reason. Now, we've talked about this for a year. You know, man, 2021, like you, some things just, you tried and it didn't work, okay? So that's how it goes in church too sometimes. We, we were, had so many plans at the beginning of 2021, and then 2021 continued to happen and unfold, and some things we couldn't do. One of those things was we wanted to reintroduce the idea of catechism to the church. I know that sounds like a stale, lame word, but all it means is, hey, man, we're getting little power pellets of God's truth, and we're, we're putting them in question answer form, and that way we can ask one another about them and teach our kids about them. Let's look at this week's. We're going to release one a week for the next 52 weeks. This is from the Westminster Catechism. Question one is, what is our only hope in life and death? The answer, that we are not our own, but belong body and soul, both in life and in death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. The reason we have hope is because we're his thing, and he's in just junk his things. Well, that's a great thing for you to just bring up in the hallway. I'd love for you to just be able to approach, you know, 
anybody, maybe some leaders or staff, and be like, hey, what are you thinking about question one from the catechism this week? I want to hear your thoughts on it. So that there's more uh, railroad track for us to ride in on and talk about the deep things of God's word. Here's what you can do no matter whether you like to review that kind of stuff or not. You can pray. God, would you breathe your spirit into everybody's word life? We need more fiery, excited people about God's word. And you know what I found? Sometimes you're feeling like, man, I feel like this is a little bit stale. Here's, can I just give you a little admonishment? When you feel like the word of God is stale, just relax. Don't try to like keep God happy by going to the word, but just say, God, would you draw me to your word and lead me to what I need to hear? In the next, don't give him 20 minutes. Say, God, sometime in the next week, draw me to your word. And then what you do is you just leave the Bible open on a table somewhere. Just, because what you'll do is you'll be walking by, like, do, 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 do. Ooh, what's, what's in there? You know? And you're just, whoa. A spirit-filled person can't help but get excited about what's in this book. You just be drawn right to it. So it's the apostles' teaching, but the secret passage includes also devotion to an apprenticing spiritual family. Okay, here we go, koinonia. How is koinonia different than just 21st century friendship? How is this different? Well, koinonia, okay, it means really a mutuality. It is a sharing, and it's a sharing of the gospel. It's a sharing of the power of God with one another, the sufferings of Christ. We're sharing in all these things with Christ. But we have to understand, if we're going to understand koinonia the right way, koinonia was what was happening between the members of the Trinity before you and I were anything. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit were sharing mutual affection and love for one another. They had no needs. They didn't create humans because they needed anything. They wanted one more avenue to pour out their endless love into. And so they created men and women. They're already having koinonia. And then through Christ, as we're reconciled to God through Christ, as he forgives our sins, he invites us into the koinonia that he and the other two members of the Trinity were already experiencing. So we're invited not into our own koinonia, but into koinonia with our heavenly father. And then we're sharing the koinonia, we're sharing with them, we're sharing with one another. That's what it really looks like. So I'll give you an example. Before my kids were born, Mackenzie and I already had a form of koinonia. We were already hanging out. We already had a great life. We already were in love with one another. Life was great. And then we had kids. And with every one of those kids, we didn't just leave them at the hospital and be like, well, you're welcome. Good luck. And in the same way, Jesus doesn't just save us and be like, well, good luck. I paid the penalty for your sin. He invites us into the family room. And he says, you know, the Father and the Holy Spirit and I, we're already here. And we want to invite you to be a part of this family. We've been loving one another. Now we're going to pour out our love on you. Now, here's the thing. When you're in the family room, I don't know how this works at your house. If you're part of a, you know, a family that has more than two people, probably, you've been in a situation where, yes, there, there are things in the, in the home that are in some sense yours, but there's also things in the home that are everybody's. Okay, so in my home, the milk is everybody's. The bread is everybody's. There's just things, there's entire spaces that are, it's not yours, and you may even get to manage it for a minute, but everybody gets it. And if mom or dad delegates you something, it's for the purpose of you not only enjoying it, but for sharing it with the rest of the family. Are you you hearing where we're going with this? So the Spirit of God invites us into Koinonia. He says, everything is mine. Everything I give into your hand, I want you to know that in a sense it's yours, but I also gave it to you to share it 
so that it's kind of mutually all of yours and you're the present person overseeing it in a sense. But I want you to be able to share it with everybody. That is the concept of koinonia. So four aspects of koinonia to recover. Here's the first one, a relational family orientation. It's a relational and a family orientation. When I say relational, I mean including actual, physical, relational interactions that you would have with a family member. Can you, can you imagine now all these, these early believers, they're studying God's word and they're seeing the rich, good things of who Jesus is and they're like, I got to share it with my family. One of the things that we don't really consider in, in our 21st century environment is we don't really remember that before the Industrial Revolution, to say nothing of the Technological Revolution, before the Industrial Revolution, life was done quite a bit differently. We're way more individualistic than everybody that came before us. Okay? This is especially true in the ancient Near East, but it was true all along, meaning everything that people did largely, usually you were part of a larger group and a larger family, and that's how you learned things. So it wasn't just that you went to school to learn concepts, but everything you did, you did with somebody, and they were kind of showing you the way of it, okay? So you were with dad for multiple hours a day. Before dad had to go away to the factory during the Industrial Revolution, everybody was just together, and you were, you know, you were in, in the smith shop, or you were on the farm, or whatever you're doing, hey, let me show you, this is how you do it. It's not even the, the steps. It's, hey, well, this is how you deal with somebody when there's a fight over an animal, Okay? And this is, this is what you got to do. If you're going to go into town, you're going to get that. you got to treat so-and-so this way. And, and really, this is just how a man does it. Okay? Or, or you look to auntie, and she's like, well, I'll, I'll tell you how to do it, but I want to show you the way I would do it to get the most benefit out of it. There's a way of things. And that's what we miss when we completely eject ourselves from relational contexts, and we get all alone, just in front of our computer, and all we ever do is text, and we're not with people, we miss an entire component to the trail mix. And that is the relational, yeah, but how? I don't mean what are the steps, I mean, but what's the way you act when you do it? How do you represent Jesus in that situation? How do I carry myself? That's why, see, if, 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 the, goal of, if the goal of apprenticing Jesus is more than just concepts, if the goal of apprenticing Jesus includes accountability and a certain degree of modeling, this is why, for as wonderful as our technological advancements are, this is why solo church, church on your own, dude, it's going to have diminishing returns because it's missing entire ingredients from the trail mixed bag. Okay? Like, you can't do it alone forever because it's, at some point, it ceases to be trail mix. It ceases to be what the thing actually was. Plus, I mean, you guys know this. For there to be real growth, there has to be challenge and accountability. There has to be somebody to say, okay, this is what I want you to do. Let's see you do it. Or someone to come along lovingly say, eh, not that way. (laughs) Try it this way. Try to talk to your wife this way. You'll experience much better results. All right? Try to be way more winsome when you approach that situation. You'll experience way better results. Yeah, this whole thing where you kind of have a chip on your shoulder and you're refusing to forgive, I understand it was hard, but try this. And let's see if you don't get a little bit more victory. All of that comes best in a relational context. That comes back when you're with somebody like, I'm pretty sure they love me, so I'm going to let them talk to me like that. I'm pretty sure they love me, so I'll receive that. And you can't know for sure if all they ever do is 
you know, text you from a million miles away. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying it's not the whole picture. So I can remember learning from so many different older men and women of God who just came along and said, you're gonna, if you're going to like communicate for God, Carter, you're going to want to be real gentle when you say this kind of thing because I know that you're really bold, you know, but that's going to go wrong. And I remember other men coming along and saying, hey, man, um, if you want anyone to follow you, you're going to really want to consider X, Y, and Z. And they were just shocked. I had another man of God say, um, I, I, it seems like you're wussing out. Why don't you just be firm like this? And it wasn't mean. It was firm kind. And it, it allowed certain things to move forward. And I so needed that. I needed to watch my pastor and his wife. I needed to watch how he honored her. I needed to see. I, I, a book wouldn't have done it, man. I needed to see him do it. And I needed to see her response to him. I needed to watch a man I really admired apologize in front of a room of people. And I couldn't have known that, dude, by reading the book or listening to the podcast. It's just a different thing. So there's got to be a relational, apprenticing, spiritual family ethic to this whole thing of fellowship and community. How many think this is worth the drive already? How many out there think it was worth turning on the computer, right? It was worth turning on the computer in the chat, if you think so. Um, I mentioned this two weeks ago. We were talking about, remember the yoke? Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. And we talked about, you know, yoke is, is two animals hooked to kind of like a plank and they pull together. What I didn't mention was that many farmers wouldn't just put two animals the same age together. They would put a young one with an older one. And the reason was the young one would get like, here we go, and, and, you know, try to get it all done in five minutes. But the old one knew the rhythms of the work. The old one would say, hey, Simmer down now. We're going to be out here all day. Okay, so our pace, match my pace here. There's a way we do this. And it's going to make everybody a whole lot happier. Well, that's what we need in the church. We need you precious, wise, older ones to say, hey, let me bear this burden with you so I can show you the how. So I can show you the way. So it is that. It is a relational family orientation, but it's also an affectionate interest. It's an affectionate interest. I can remember the first time Pastor Jeff called me up. I can remember the first time Pastor Tim called me up. Now, you got to remember, I wasn't, I was just a kid. I was just a 19-year-old kid. I wasn't anybody. But they were just like, hey, can we go out to TGI Fridays? Can I take you out to this other place? And the whole point was them communicating, I am in your corner. I have interest in how this goes for you. Whatever's going on in your life, I want to be your helper. You know how powerful that was? Do you know how shaping that was in my idea of what the church is? And all it was was, hey, I'm, I'm, I've got an hour. Do you want to go? It was that demonstrating affectionate interest that opened the door to all kinds of moments of influence. I can remember the time Pastor Jeff, you know, put his arm around me. He said, I better never hear you talk to your lady that way again. You know what I'm saying? And the reason now... I would have received just about anything on earth from him because of the way he demonstrated love to me, not to mention the wisdom of the action. So here's my question to you. Are there folks you're demonstrating affectionate interest in? Maybe it's not at church, and maybe it shouldn't be. Maybe there's people in your work environment. 
They're just a little bit younger. They're a little bit more. You just know how you could be helpful. Maybe it's a cousin. Maybe it's somebody in your extended family that you're like, you know, I see them and I see them wavering a little bit. I could just, I could just lean in and help. I could just help bear this burden. And it doesn't mean a lifetime commitment. It might mean you check in four times a year, but it's just something. It's saying, I have an affectionate interest and I would like to be helpful. Think about the people that have been the most impactful to you in your life. Now ask the question of you. Given everything that's been invested in you, are you investing elsewhere? Are you passing on this DNA? Are you even modeling the right DNA? Are you modeling the DNA of church as a spectator sport? Are you modeling, no, baby, we're filled with family around here. No, this is about relational investment. This is about making sure people are going to be all right when I see them not doing so well. And that, the prayer we need to pray is, Spirit of God, breathe into our fellowship, breathe into our family relating. Now, here's the problem. Here's the rub. Here's where it goes south. Is anytime you have a group of close-knit people who are all together, people's opinions start to pop up, start to bubble up. People have opinions. Now, it's even worse in our generation because now there's almost a virtue to if you can put your rant on social media, in other words, you can be a critical jerk and get likes for it, okay? Like that's somehow that we're thinking, oh, that's a good thing. And people love how I told them off. All that does is in us, it reinforces, you know, we're kind of like getting dopamine hits about tearing down rather than building up. And then when you have an entire group of people that is actually becoming quite good at that, what it begins to do is disintegrate community. It begins to hurt the rich, healthy family God was building. I don't know about you guys, but I have seen One of my very first, once I became a born-again follower of Christ, church experiences was I saw a church that really cared. I was a college student at the time. They really cared about college students, and I watched that church implode. They were having effective ministry, and people just started to say this, that, and the other thing. And here's what they didn't do. They didn't follow the advice of the blueprint that we, we watched. What did they say? Verse 46, day by day, continuing with one mind with one mind, without dissent, single-mindedly. That means they decided to agree. You know how mature you have to be to decide to agree when you don't necessarily agree? Dude, that is like the tippy top. When you can just say, you know what? I'm just not going to make a big deal out of this. I just don't need to. I don't need an opinion, and even if I have one, I don't need to let everybody know about it. I'm just going to demonstrate the Christ-centeredness to say, it's best if I just keep this to myself. And I'm not saying we don't deal with things. I'm not saying we don't ask about things. I'm not saying we don't push, you know, push back about things. But we do it in the right context, and we don't just allow disunity to live, and we definitely don't allow us to be the catalyst of disunity. Now, here's another, you know, related to humility that we need to watch out for. One more pitfall, and then we'll do the thing, and then we'll wrap up. You got to watch out because when there's really rich fellowship, I don't know if you guys have seen this, but I just want to warn off all of us again. You got to watch out. When you got really rich fellowship, people can get idolatrous about their friends. You've seen this with cliques. You ever see a clique that's just like, oh my gosh, they're hard to watch, okay? Because there's this little clique and they're, and we got a little Facebook group of our clique, you know, and, and like, let's have the clique party. And, and 
I'm not saying it's not great that, that people have friends. Obviously, that's true. But there comes a point in our heart where we cross a line where we were like, God, thank you. Thank you for family. Thank you for fellowship. Thank you for putting me with these people. And we begin to look to them as a source of sorts. We look to them for approval. We look to them to make us feel better about ourselves. We look to them to make us feel like, well, at least I'm significant. Everybody outside the clique isn't significant, but at least I am. Can I promise you, I promise you, God is a jealous God. If you're really his son or daughter, he will discipline that by exploding that group. He will curse it. He will make the thing, it'll just die because he will have no rivals. And he didn't give us friends and close family members so that we could worship them, but so that they could be a place where he could inhabit and be worshiped. So friends are super dope and awesome, but there should always just be a guardedness in our heart of like, thank God for them. I'm so thankful for them, God. But God, we all know it's you. We all know you're the first love. And if you had to take them away, God, I'd be fine. I may not like it, but I'd be fine. And besides, Lord, I'm not just for them. I'm for the whole rest of the family. Koinonia wasn't just with this little cluster. It's with the whole family. So I'm going to keep that in my brain. And then generosity of heart. So calculated humility, generosity of heart. And they would sell their property. Man, I'm almost sad this sermon's going to end. How many would just give a little whimper that it's going to end soon? You sad about it? I am too. Man, I'm mourning with you. Koinonia, let's share our mourning together that this sermon is coming to a close. And they would sell their property and possessions and share with them all to the extent that anyone had need. Let's notice, this wasn't communism case. It wasn't forced on them. They were just decide. The apostles weren't making them do this. There was just this generosity spirit that was bubbling up. They're like, oh, I heard they have a need. Let's sell the house. Let's do whatever we can to meet the needs of everyone. And I've seen you guys do this. I've seen y'all sell cars. I've seen you give away stuff. And you know what it should do for each one of us is it should challenge us afresh. When you hear that somebody was just ridiculously generous, there should be a little bit of Holy Ghost competition that comes over us. It's like, oh, dog, that was really awesome. I'll tell you what, I'm going to try to outdo them. They gave that? Wow, I'm going to give this. I'm going to find somebody to be good to because I don't want to be the only one in the family not demonstrating the family spirit. These folks were so filled with the generous love of God that they said, well, you know, it's all the same house. And I know that it's mine in a sense, but it's also yours, so I don't have any problem just giving you what is kind of yours anyway. Like, it's all God's. I might as well just give it to you. They had an open-handedness with their generosity. Can I challenge us? In addition to, let's all keep growing in generosity, you can't know people's needs unless you're there to hear them. And I know, like, well, maybe they'll post them somewhere. Well, maybe, yeah, and there's a percentage that you'll hear about. But you know where you really hear about it? So when there's two or three, you're just talking. You know what I'm saying? And they said, man, I tell you, this thing's really going hard on us. That's when you're going to hear it. What are we seeing again? It's in the context of relationship. This family actually is together. That's how they hear about needs for which they can be generous toward. So I got to warn you. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some time to grow in the grit of deciding I need to keep meeting and knowing more of my spiritual family. Some of you, you're outgoing. And can I challenge you? Help the rest of us, please. You're good at like talking to people, 
Pull the introverts of us into the conversation. Help us get in on the action. But for those of you who are less, you know, outgoing, can I lovingly challenge you? Yeah, I hear that that's maybe a little bit of a handicap, but it shouldn't stop the Spirit of God. You can just decide to be more aggressive. And it might take a learning curve because maybe you've been inside forever. You've been inside two years now. You kind of forgot how to interact with people. I want to lovingly encourage you. Jesus will go with you. He will. Grab his hand and let him introduce you to other people in the house, other people in the family, because you've got some sharing to do with them. Let's wrap this up by saying this. Your great God, your loving God, your merciful God has invited you in to the koinonia of the Trinity. He's invited you in to the fellowship of God. And he says, I've invited you in. Now I want you to keep sharing with everybody else I've invited in. And it's going to take maybe some recalibration of how you think about the church of Jesus Christ. It's not a place you go. It's not one event in your week. That's not what it is. It's a spiritual family that is into, way into apprenticing around the things of the teaching of God's word. Let's bow our heads. God, what a privilege. So first, we just want to praise you for the privilege of being in the room. God, thank you. You've made a way for us to come to you through Christ. And we thank you so much for the blood that covers us. And it is our, it's our entrance stamp to get into the house. Thank you for the fellowship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God, for some of us, it might be appropriate for us to ask for forgiveness because we've undervalued what it means to be in the house. We've undervalued others in the house. We've kind of made it about us instead of being radically generous, intentionally uh, calling out to to others. We've missed some opportunities to provide a hand up, to provide a word of encouragement, to provide a sharpening in some cases. God, in some cases, we've just, we've selfishly, radically under-prioritized others. And we want to ask you forgiveness. But God, you're showing us the way. You're showing us the ancient way. God, help us to have the courage and the grit to take this sacred passage, to not sit here, Do not fall by the way that is wide and full of destruction. Father, in Jesus' name, help us resemble your first new community. More and more in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. If you don't have a home church and you're looking for a Bible-preaching community that has its heart set on passionately knowing Jesus and being his witness in our generation, check out Fierce.Church. We'd love for you to join us either digitally or in person. Also, if you're looking for leadership development-related content, don't forget to check out the Fierce Leadership Podcast, available wherever you get your podcast from. Special thanks to those of you who give generously to support this ministry. It's because of you that this is possible. You can click on the link in the description to give now or visit fierce.church for more information. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not subscribe, share it with your friends, click on the share button, take a screenshot, and share it on social media or wherever you would share such things. Whatever challenges you're facing, I know you can make it. Don't give up. 
Hang on to Jesus. He won't let go of you. Jesus loves you so much, and we love you. I hope someday we get to meet in person. Thanks again for listening.